0: Well, good morning, church. I'm Pastor Robbie Henson. I'm your life group's pastor, and I am substitute pinch-hitting this morning for Pastor Dave, who is in a missions conference representing our church in Louisiana, so keep him in your prayers. I'm going to start off today with doing something very, very similar to what Pastor Dave did a couple weeks ago. I want you to say something with me. Jesus. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Shouldn't we be thankful for that? And what I want to do today, we should be excited. I want to redirect that and have us look at our lives. I want you to examine your relationship. We're going to bounce into the book of Luke, and we're going to be in the 23rd chapter. And we're going to be there almost all day. And I'm going to speak about somebody that I feel... God has uh, laid on my heart. And uh, we're pastors leading us through a series called My Testimony. And this person that God has laid in my heart is in this part of the chapter, and he's a little unique. Uh, So just bear with me this morning. I'm going to pray. And uh, open up God's Word here for just a second. We're going to go right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just be with us today as we go through your Word. Help me to get out of the way. Lord, speak through me and speak through your Word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The same Bible that we preach out of is the same Bible I'm going to speak to you about today, from today. The same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus There's different reasons we do things in our lives. There's different reasons why we fall into the circumstances that we fall into. My past career was in law enforcement like Brother Dave's, and Brother Dave, that was a wonderful testimony. Thank you for giving that to us today. We all have choices, we all make mistakes. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about an individual today, and if you ran up on this individual, his testimony might go something like this. I've taken from people my entire life. If it wasn't tapped down, I'd steal it. I've disrupted society. I've been a cancer on society. And it was determined a couple days ago I would pay for my actions with my life. My life's not been easy. And today it's going to end. My partner, who's a predator like me, is gonna walk up this road with one other man, and we're gonna be nailed to a cross. We won't be missed. We'll be stripped of our dignity, our clothing, and my miserable life will come to an end. It'll be over soon. This third man, though, that's walking with me. I've been told he claims to be king of the Jews light of the world it's only a claim though that I've heard I've seen the sign that they're going to put over his cross it says king of the Jews what a joke he's fought against the same society I have the religious society and the political society he claims he can tear down the temple and he can build it back in three days We'll see how he handles the spikes as they're driven into his hand. What dignity he has, what words that come out of his mouth. When I arrived and they put me down on the ground, I fought with everything I had. I had to tie my hands together to drive the spikes through my legs and through my feet. I kicked, I screamed, I cursed, I spit. If I could have bit, I would have bit. who are these people to judge me? I've had a bad life. Then they raised me into the air. The pain that I felt as that cross fell into the ground was unbearable. I couldn't stand it. My life was going to be over soon. As I became to my senses, I looked down and I saw him. He walked below me, the place that I had just fought and I had just been. He glanced up at me. He looked at me. His eyes penetrated my soul. There was something out of place. He acted like he knew what he was doing, where he was going. He had a purpose in his walk. He looked as if he had known me, knew everything I'd ever done. Maybe I stole from him. Maybe I heard him preach. I couldn't remember. Everything flooded together so fast. I just don't know where. Somewhere he knows me, though. The Romans began to tear the clothes off of him. He had been beaten and flogged. I could barely recognize he was a man. There was blood everywhere. I thought, "Some king this is! What a prophet he could be!" I began to taunt him. My partner began to taunt him. The crowd was taunting him. He spoke nothing but kindness. He moved with purpose. The crowd continued to jeering. Come down. I must admit, as much as in my life I had followed the crowd, I still continued to follow the crowd, but there was something about him. And then finally, someone said, if you are the Christ, save yourself. Soon the way this man lived and was dying got to me. Quiet came over the crowd. And I thought as I hung there, something was different. I would soon see God. I knew it. And I'd answer for the wrongs I had committed in life, the things that they were putting me to death for and the things that they didn't even know I was going to die. Yet he was in complete control. Everything he did seemed to have a purpose. His actions, his words were perfect. His responses were about others in forgiveness. He forgave the ones that mocked him. He even looked at the heaven and asked his father to forgive him. I know what actions justify this. My actions justify this. And as my fellow predator jeered at him, I rebuked him. I told him, be quiet. We're getting what we deserve. This man's done Nothing. I didn't have much time left, and I knew what I had done in my life was wrong. And I turned to him and I said, "Please, Lord, forgive me. Remember me today when you come into paradise." And he looked at me and he said, "Today, you will be with me in paradise." It began to get quiet. It was dark. Suddenly, I felt the earth shaking. I looked over, and I saw him look into the sky and say, it's finished, and he was dead. I knew he was dead. I could see he was dead. Soon I'd be dead. He said I would, and he had mercy on me. He forgave me. The person that was nailed to this cross, me, was not the same person that would die on it. And the reason was, was because of his mercy and grace. That is my testimony, the robber on the cross. If you look at Luke, the 23rd chapter, and start with verse 32, I'm going to read this through. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to just talk about it a couple minutes. <clears throat> In verse 32, it says, There were also two other criminals led with him and put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified with him. And the criminals on right and on the left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots and the people stood looking on, even the rulers with them sneering, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him in the letters of both Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him, saying, "If you're the Christ, save yourself and you, us." But the other' answered, but the other, the other criminal, answered rebuking him, saying, "Do not even you fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly are receiving our due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, so then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. If you look at verse 32, the descriptions of the words here are also found in three places in the gospel. So they're found in Matthew, Mark, Anne, and John, the robbers and their positionings. And I'm going to look at just things kind of interesting and the robbers denote rebels. Usually the thief or robbery was not something that you paid for your life with at that time. Some of the commentaries that I've read this past week from pretty smart people, they feel that these may have been the same individuals that were with Barabbas. Usually when people were caught together, they were killed together if they were brought. So there's nothing really that says here but these two were listed as thieves or robbers and they're being put to death. Christ had taken Barabbas' place at the willing of the Jewish crowd. And when they get in verse 33 to the place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals on the right hand and on the left. And so you have Christ purposefully in between the two criminals. His cross is between them both. They're blading him on either side. The actual crucifixion process is a tremendously cruel and inhumane process. It's designed to, to be gruesome and to be slow. You don't die from a loss of blood or from the pain. simply You basically die from suffocation because the tighter you get, the loss of blood causes you to sink down and you push back up and it try to get air into your lungs as you're hanging there. And pretty soon you get tired the process wears you down and you begin to suffocate. So sometimes it takes days for these folks to die. And it's tremendously painful and humiliating because you lose all dignity because you're up there completely naked. This is also confirmed in... Matthew 27, Mark 15, and John 19. These scriptures confirm also where the placement of the two criminal. I'll just use the word criminal. Um, John actually calls them others. Matthew and Mark call them robbers. But it doesn't really matter. They were evil people. And the reason that these two individuals were there is much like everything else in our life, God's fulfilling scripture And he doesn't get caught by surprise because if you look at Isaiah 53, 12, he's talking about, Isaiah is about Christ. Therefore, I will divide him in a portion with with the great, and he shall be divided the spoils with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and he made intercessions for the transgressors. So Jesus is up there between the transgressors. The innocent one, the king of the Jews, is dying amongst the sinful people for their sins. He's doing that, not for them, but for us. Amen? I mean, this, this is the whole purpose of why he came. This is the whole purpose of why he came and died on a cross. In verse 34, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but they, even the rulers, them, sneered him. He saved others, save himself. And if he is the Christ and the chosen God, then the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. And he said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then in verse 38, it talks about the inscription written in three different languages. This is the king of the Jews. I'm saying that because I feel that that is the part of this scripture that changes this criminal's mind. This criminal has seen, he's probably no different than any other criminal. He has seen what it takes to get to this position in his life. He's lived it. He's probably concerned only with himself. He's probably concerned with the people that are there. He's angry. He's jeering at Jesus, but something about that day changed him. It's in, it, you, you can't argue it. You can have different ways of looking at it, but you can't deny the fact that he once was sneering and taunting Jesus with everybody else and something changed in him that day. And I honestly believe it's what I just read you. I believe it's the life in which Christ lived as he died. As he was being taken at his worst possible moment, humiliated, dying for our sins, he was concerned about nothing else but others. He was concerned about only completing the process. And I don't think that escaped this criminal. I think he looked, and when the other criminal in verse 39 says, then one of the criminals were hanging, started to blaspheme him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. While these insults are being, one of the criminals just doesn't get it. He's looking and he's seeing, he's going, come on, this is about me. If you're Jesus, get me out of this. Save yourself if you're really the Christ. And there's a taunt there. You're questioning the results of what you're seeing based on what you're interpreting, how it affects me. Does that sound familiar to any of us today? Okay, 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 I'm sick. I'm praying, I'm praying, let me get, my marriage isn't going, things aren't going right. Get me out of this, Lord. What if God wants you to go through it? God doesn't save Christ from the cross. It was the purpose of why he was here. Amen? It was the purpose of why he was here and what he was going to do. And so as this criminal sees this, he uses the same word in verse 40. He says he rebukes him, and then the other answer rebuked him. You know what that word is? That's the same word that, is, that Jesus used casting out the demons in, in uh, Luke 4 and 35 and 41, Luke 9, healing the sick, he rebuked. In verse 4 39, Clint calming the storms, he rebuked the storms. Verse 8 20, thus the, the, the thief sees what Jesus is doing and he turns to the guy that he's been in, involved with and he says, Stop. Don't you see we're getting what we deserve? This is man has not done anything. There's a turn. That's repentance, guys. There's a turn. That means I'm going this way, I'm living my life, I'm sinful, and something gets your attention and you turn. You turn away from your old life. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you accepted Christ? Do you remember when you turned? It may not be a big turn, but it's a turn. You may have been the only one that noticed it at first, but it's still a turn. I remember when I accepted Jesus, I could not wait to get on my knees. I could not get down the aisle fast enough. So much so, I couldn't even... I don't remember all the words I said, I just remember what he did. You know, isn't that what it's all about? So many times we get so caught up in, what did you say the right things? Were the right words expressed? Did you kneel on your right knee or did you kneel on your left knee? Was the pastor there? Oh, you've got to do, look look at what he does. Look at what the the criminal does. In, In verse 41, and we indeed justly receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he, the criminal, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What part of that verse saved him? In my mind, I think it's the moment he said, Lord. Can you call him Lord and do whatever you want to do? Can you... Can you be married to someone and not be submissive to their will? Can you be part of something and not be engaged in it? Can you call Jesus Lord and not do anything that he asks you to do? I think the minute he said Lord, there was, you, you could see in his, in his mind, you could see the turn, the turn from that old life. And then he said, remember remember me when you come into your kingdom. They both had been reviling Christ just seconds before. But there was something about the way Jesus died. There was something about the way Jesus lived his life at the end. There was something just the same way it was with us when we asked Christ in our heart. There was something that said, I, I got I to gotta have this. This, I want this. I'm, I'm, I wasn't a really bad kid. I mean, I was nine years old when I accepted Jesus. How bad could I have been? I did all the bad stuff after I accepted him. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Oh, that don't sound right, does it? Do you think I'm any less saved than what I was? I tell you i tell you the same thing I tell my kids. If you got on your knees and you asked Christ in your heart and you really, really meant it, I don't care what you've done. He saved you. Nothing unsaves you. There's nothing in the Bible that shows, well, you know, if I turn into a drunk, then I must not have really been saved. If I cheated on my husband, then, oh, well, must not have. That's not it. You drag Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit through every bit of that. There's a responsibility that we have as Christians to live our lives the way we're supposed to live them. What we're seeing is an extreme. This is moments before this man dies. If anybody ever comes to you and says, Well, you got to live a certain life, you got to live a certain way, go to this scripture. This scripture should give us every bit of assurance that it's nothing that we do. It's everything that he did. You don't get saved because of your own works. There's not a 12-step. Charles Wendell said something that I thought was really good. He's one of my heroes of the faith. And he says, the, the criminal on the cross exhibited faith and received assurance from Jesus. That was it. He said, Lord, there wasn't a big proclamation of what he did. There wasn't a 12-step program. First, salvation is a gift. There's not the 12-step plan. There's not a humanistic self-help program. The criminal couldn't have reformed himself. He didn't have time. Circumstances in life we're not allowing him the time all he had time to do is lord remember me and he was saved just like that so salvation is a gift first and foremost second we're assured that if we believe instantly saved that the moment we believe Jesus says to the man today you will be with me in paradise any time you're tempted to believe this, come back to this. Come back to this, and if you feel like you're having to do works, come back to this. There was nothing this man could have did to earn his salvation. It was a gift. It was a gift of God. This past week, we lost a great saint in our faith, Dr. Stanley. He was a hero of mine. Uh, he lived a wonderful life. He had countless Dr. Charles Stanley had countless of people that he effected in his ministry. He says that once the thief had a change of his heart while he was on the cross, Jesus accepted that expression of faith as genuine. Did the thief deserve it? No. None of us do. But the point is that God's grace saves us, not our merit. So what are we looking at here? Well, what we're looking at here is Christ did several things publicly in front of everybody. He died for all mankind. He died for all mankind's sin, present, past, and future. That means whatever you're going to do this week that's a sin, he died for that too, if you know him. People watching, the rulers and religious and political politically, even the people being crucified with him, were cruel and it was horrible what they did to him. The execution was prophecy being fulfilled. The crucifixion was, he was fulfilling prophecy from hundreds of years before that had been proclaimed. The criminals with Christ that were being executed, their death sentence was being fulfilled. They were selfish, they were sinful, and they reviled Christ until something happened to the one. That was very public. There was a moment when one of these criminals with great courage in front of everybody else admonishing Jesus stood up and said, no, he's innocent and changed. Now what? Some of the things were that were private. Some of the things that were private going on. Christ was consistent in how he lived. His love and his behavior for others was above himself. Nothing changed in Christ's behavior. We're supposed to be Christ-like. Well, wait a minute. Now, Pastor Robbie, this, that's kind of a tall order. I'm just saying Christ, Christ didn't get a mulligan or a do-over because he was going through the cross. He was consistent with his walk towards his father. Why do you think he spent so much time on his knees asking the father to help him? He knew it was going to be tough. The location does not matter. Jesus was only interested in our hearts. So where do you get that from? Let's look at 1 Samuel sixteen seven. I want to ask you a question. Verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel. Now Samuel's looking for a king. Do you think this specific statement is about what Samuel's doing, or do you think this is a characteristic of God? Answer in your own mind. Do not look at the appearance or at the physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. The Lord always looks at our heart. The Lord always is expressing, not in what we're doing, but in our heart and how it's changed. What are we doing in here? That's why the thief didn't have to do anything other than change his heart. He had to turn in his heart. Let's look at Mark. Let's look at a New Testament reference. Mark 12, 41 through 43. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury. And saw how the people and the money into put money into the treasury. And many were rich, put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw two mites, which makes a quandary. So he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those that have given to the treasury. He sees her actions but he feels her heart. You see? It's not what she was openly doing. It was what she was giving everything she had to him. So what, what do I have to say? Do I have to say the right words? Do I have to do the right things? The criminal cross just looked at him and said, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into the, your kingdom." And that was it. He was forgiven. There was nothing else required of him. Now, I believe baptism's important. We're gonna have a baptism here. in I believe you should be dutiful, but how you get into heaven, all you have to do is change your heart and say, Lord, that's it. There's nothing else. Okay, so I gotta do something here. I'll get in trouble with pastors. pastor. So the inserts in, in your bulletin. <clears throat> I gave you five of them, so you can say I gave you two more than what pastor or the other guys do, so bear with me here. There has to be a moving or a convicting, number one, of the Holy Spirit in your life. There has to be something that comes from you moving in this direction that gets you to stand up and go, wait a minute, there's something different about him. There has to be a changing of your heart. Number two, there has to be repentance. There has to be a portion of your life that you know something's wrong, that you realize you're a sinner, and then there has to be a turning of your heart. There has to be a turning of your heart to where you look because that's what thats what God's interested in is your heart. There has to be confession or an acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord of your life. Do you say, Lord? Is he? You have to accept his love and his forgiveness for your payments. You have to let him in. And you have to live for him and go tell others. Galatians two twenty through 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside grace of God, for it is the righteousness that comes through the law. Then Christ died in vain. So how do I do this? Well, you do this. Who's good? I'm going to go right down the Romans road with you this morning. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to just close your eyes. You're going to get out early today, so I get an attaboy. (laughs) Who's good? Romans 3.10 says that it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Have you ever come to that realization, do you know you're a sinner? That's first. That's the acknowledgement. That's point one. Who sinned? All of sin, according to Romans 3, 23, and fallen short of God's glory. That means you don't get into heaven on your own merit. It's a gift, it's a gift of God. Where'd sin come from? Where did I get these desires? Therefore, just as sin, Romans 5.12 says, entered into the world through the man, Adam, death through that sin, and in the and in the way of death comes to all men by because of all sin. Romans 6.23, and the wages of sin is what? Death. When you do things wrong, you pay for it with death. Say, what do you mean if I do things, I'm gonna die? We're all gonna die. It's just where are you going to go spend eternity? And Romans 5:8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of us has the same level playing field. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you have in the bank, what your life was like, if you're a criminal or if you're affluent. We're all going to stand before Jesus one day, and we're going to give account for that. Last week, I I am amazed at every week how Pastor sits up there and says these goes through this, and there's people that write in and say, "I accepted Christ, so I'm going to do this. I feel it's important." If you haven't accepted Christ today, just all you have to do is say, "Lord." Just pray this, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a sinner, and I want to repent of my sin and ask you into my heart. Lord, come into my heart, change my life, and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, then you're saved. If you made that commitment today, I'm not going to ask you to, if you want to come down front, that's fine. But if you just, you can write it on a card and put it in the offering bucket, and we'll get back in touch with you. But this is between you and God. It's a serious decision. A couple weeks ago, Pastor left you with four words. He said, Go make a difference. They were great words of advice. I'm going to give you four, too. Go make a disciple. If you really want to make a difference in this world, go tell somebody about Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that changes our lives. Jesus is the only thing that makes a difference in our life. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I hope I've been a good messenger. Lord, I just thank you for your love. Anybody that has made a decision today, Lord, I just ask you to have them make it known, have it to be long-lasting in their life. Lord, help them, to be, help them to make you Lord of their life and to help them to tell others. Help them, Lord, to go make disciples and make a difference in other people's lives because you gave everything for us to be a part of your family, to be joint heirs. And Lord, we give you all the answer, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.